Welcome to episode 53 of the Worldwide Chelsea Pods. Today it is Marv taking over. I've got a very special guest today. But before that, I'm just going to introduce you to our sponsor. And I hope my mic. There we go. Um, so I'm going to introduce you all to our new sponsor. It is me, Marvito Dude, at Marvito Dude. Don't even bother following me. Just retweet my Harland agenda. That is all I'm asking you to do. Uh, I'm up to like day 25, six. Contact me, contact Alf Harland, his dad, who I used to watch because I'm really old and I remember him playing for Manchester City. But let's hope Erling does not play for Manchester City and he joins the wonderful Chelsea because we can win everything. So episode 53, special guest with me today from the Balanced Blue Pod. I've got the analytical hero, Trav, with me today. How are you doing, Travis? I'm doing great, Marv. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. It's been a while since I've uh, been on a podcast for you with Worldwide Chels, and I'm really looking forward to it. Hope you're doing well. And uh, wasn't the most exciting match today against Sheffield, but hey, it's cup, it's cup football. Win's a win. It's all that matters. Absolutely agree with that. And uh, I mean, you know, my son woke me up, so that was my alarm. I kept trying to fall asleep, kept looking, kept watching the game. But the most important thing is the result. We got the 2-0 win, which, by the way, I noticed on your Twitter you predicted it correctly. But hold that thought. I'm going to come back to that afterwards. Walk me through this game, Trav. What happened and what do you think? Uh, so to start, I felt like in the first 15 minutes or so, it really seemed like Sheffield had came to play. They were really pressing us hard. And it, we, we were struggling to really exert any of our influence and dominance in the game. We, you know, we were having a lot of uh, misplaced passes and just looked like the midfield was very disjointed. Um, and we saw that in midfield, you know, particularly we saw that Kovacic was kind of taking up the Jorginho role and Gilmore was taking up more of the Kovacic role. So that was a little interesting for me to see that role reversal. Uh, you saw Ko or Kova especially was getting the ball a lot and quickly playing a lot of back passes, side passes, just to keep it moving, to move this opponent around to create space. But there just wasn't much going on. And I think that was best exemplified with Giroud himself essentially being a ghost today. I mean, I, I don't think he had really any chances that were coming his way. There was no service. Uh, just very ineffective for the majority of the match. And I think that that kind of sums up today in general. Um, however, as the match went on, uh, it looked like we started to get a little bit more of a foothold. Chilwell had that lashing, you know, what would like to be across, across the box, just looking for somebody. It was Emerson who was on that run. Uh, but luckily, you know, Sheffield United's defender tried to make a clearance by diving, went off his foot, own goal. And then at that point, I, I kind of said to myself, Thomas Tuchel doesn't blow leads. This is over. Game it. It's game over, 1-0. Um, and, and then, you know, the final goal was good. But it, it did seem again and again, you know, we made a lot of rotational changes. Um, we, we also saw Pulisic finally getting into that forward position today. Uh, Mason Mount with the armband was a big moment uh, for a lot of people in the fan base and but the, the problem for me is that with all of these changes, it's really hard to build continuity, especially in cup football. It's a dangerous game to play if you're going to do a lot of changes overall. But hey, we got that. And that's kind of been the story of Tuchel so far in the FA Cup. But we continue to grind out these results and get it done. And I really think that's all that matters in the end is you get the win. You're on the next round. And, and you know, we're going to have a tough a tough matchup, whoever we play in the semifinals in Wembley. But, you know, I'm going to take it. We're in the semifinals. Let's go. Well, I mean, you summed that up very well, I think, Trav, uh, especially regarding rotation. So <clears throat> this is what I was going to mention. And I feel sorry because here's the monologue. I was a big fan of Sonic the Hedgehog when I was younger, and it's upset me how flat 
that performance was. So, yeah, it was a flat one, but I think the rotation, I mean, according in my opinion, the rotation was the reason for that. I mean, we changed, what, like seven players or something. I mean, it's quite impressive we managed to win 2-0 and, in my opinion, not playing very well. Um, but in that sense, I'm still very, you know, we take the win. That's the thing, isn't it? We, we take the win. I'm just going to, I just want to kind of give you an extension on that question that you mentioned about uh, Giroud because, yeah, I barely noticed he was playing. And does this not highlight how effective Timo Werner is in this team? What do you think? I think it does. And for all the, you know, kind of, I, I would say bad press, for lack of a better word, that Timo Werner has had this season, uh, in, his, in the Premier League, I think it's five goals, five assists across all of these matches that he's played in. But when you look at the collective, he's done quite a bit in the cup matches. And I think it does highlight the effectiveness that he has in this role. Because when we throw Giroud up there, other teams can play a higher line because they know that Giroud's not running into those channels and beating them uh, for pace. So it's, okay, we can play a higher line. He's not going to move the center backs around a whole lot because he's a target man. He's kind of camping in the box and using link-up play. And the way we're playing now, we are not we don't have the width that we used to have with the 4-3-3 as those two forwards that are behind Giroud are much closer as more of an inverted or right-left forward behind the center forward. So I think that, that is, that's a problem that Giroud has within his system is his link-up play is neutralized because he's not being able to draw, the, you know, the ball's coming to him, he's not able to draw towards the center and then hit it back out wide to create that space. And I think that Timo Werner, the way that we're setting up, allows him to play against those high defensive lines. And especially if we're having teams that are going to sit back more as well, uh, I think it gives them more of a threat to think about because of how he can move. He just simply moves around, which moves the opponent, which creates space for others. So I do think that his role is probably a little underrated in this team, despite kind of the a lot of the one-on-one -on -one misses he's had. But you can also look at many top strikers in Europe, like Lewandowski had the most big misses last year of any striker, but yet conversely had the most goals across Europe last season. So that is something that happens quite a bit. And, you know, maybe with, with all the things of the extenuating circumstances of the season, uh, you know, Werner can get going. But I, I really do fear that we do not have the depth for a striking position right now. And goes back to your Holland agenda. And I think every Chelsea fan, <laughs> it, it, it becomes more and more obvious, I think, every, every match that it, he would take us to a new level, I think. And I know some people think that, you know, one player doesn't make a difference. But I really feel that's the... That is what we lack, and we've lacked that since Diego Costa, and that impact is still felt today. Um, so I, I think that's uh, I, I think it highlights Giroud as being ineffective, and I know bar the bicycle kick that he had uh, against Atletico, I really don't know how much he's contributed to this team. If you take away that goal, there's really not a whole lot. And uh, how about you? What are what are your thoughts on that? Actually, very good point there again, Trav. Because uh, yeah. It this is why I actually really like strikers like Timo, uh, because you know that when it's off the when he's off the ball, there's going to be stuff that happens, and when he's not touching the ball or scoring, he's still providing something. For example, you t I mean, I tell people and people don't care, but you sit on the shoulder of a defender if you're playing, and, and you probably play, I play. Uh, when when there's someone really fast, rapid coming up against you. You are looking always over your shoulder, keeping a little bit further distance so that you don't let that guy completely destroy you. If that's Olivier Giroud, you know he's going to beat you in the air, so just keep him away from the goal. And uh, you know, he can hold the ball up, and that's the problem, right? So they'll hold you and they back you in, but that is all they can really do. And this is why I like uh, people like Timo Werner. And why is it 
the part one, why is it that off-the-ball work is so underrated? For me, you know, I mean, I'm going to say that I'm going to throw this out there and people are not going to like it, but White William. And uh, it doesn't play the same role, but you know what I mean? William was really good at that. Being the first line of winning back the ball, recoveries. And I personally don't think we get enough of that from people like Hudson Adoy and stuff like that, even though he's a younger player and he's been playing well lately. And for me, these things are underrated. When Timo plays, we're a much better team. When Giroud plays, maybe we are not much uh, a much better team. And you said there about Lewandowski's misses. That's because, that's, you know, we look at the, the stat sheet, we watch the highlights, and we see that their misses, these misses happen. But there are other variables that people, you know, on Twitter, wherever, don't pay attention to them. For example, who created the chance? Those, but you said Lewandowski had the biggest conversion rate and miss rate. But then we come to the next point, right? Who's creating the chances? Are they created, self-created? Which then makes him even more valuable as a striker. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I, and I feel like that's one thing with Timo you're kind of getting at. It seems that he's able to create things more on his own based upon his pace. And you're, you're spot on about that with having to always worry about somebody that's really fast. When you're up against somebody that's fast, I feel like, it's, and I, I played like, you know, right wing back a lot uh, when I used to play. And you, you have to be more cognizant of those kinds of players because, you, 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 A, you can't go forward as much because you're going to be worried about getting burned. And, and B, you, you can't give them that space you ha- or you have to allow a little more space to defend. You can't close it down and try to be ultra aggressive, whereas you can do that more with a striker who you know is more focused on build-up play and area ability. So I think you're spot on with that. And I think that Giroud is ultimately going to be a cult hero at Chelsea Football Club for everything that he's done. But Definitely. But it comes to a point where you start to see almost a, a regression in the overall attacking play. How whenever I don't know if this is something that uh, anyone else has started to notice, but I know that on my podcast, Travis Tyler has pointed it out that there's kind of a trend when Giroud starts, it's generally only him scoring and nobody else. Interesting stat. I didn't reckon maybe that that's something quite interesting. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think it probably goes back to the type of profile he offers, right? He's just going to stand there around the box and wait for something to happen in, in you know, the area that he's in. And I think that in, the teams are able to move to a lower defensive block uh, when, that's, when that's happening, right? Um, when, we're, when they're actually in their final or their defensive third, they know that there's going to be that target man, right? So if we're going to play crosses in the box, condense the, condense the space around Giroud, but if they're, you know, if we're not going to use crosses to Giroud, then I really don't know what his effectiveness is in the team compared to any, even Tammy Abraham would be a better option because he's more of a mobile striker who can use his can use that mobility to just simply open up spaces that Giroud can't for others. And I think, despite how well he holds up the ball, I, I think his build-up play has been less and less valuable since the departure of Eden Hazard. Uh, if I'm honest with you. Um, and we also, I mean, you made a, you made a point there about William and his work rate, which was really underappreciated by a lot of people. And I, I, I mean, I, I think from our conversations, you're a person who used to do a lot of pressing off the ball and it, it's just a skill that creates so much more havoc for a team, right? It's really difficult to play out the back that way. So I, I think that why he maybe is the guy who scores primarily when he plays, although it didn't happen today, you know, before he left the pitch, we only had an own goal. Um, from from Sheffield United to have the lead. But I think it's just because of the tactics that the team has to adjust for when he's there, right? We're not looking to hit balls over the top. We're not looking to counter as quickly. It's much more slow, deliberate play. But I don't know if you have anything else to go off from that. 
Yeah, um, <clears throat> regarding Tammy, I think that's why he got picked over Giroud last season. Uh, you know, the first season on the Lampard, he was playing all the games because when he was playing, he was pressing, he was moving, and off the ball, he was pretty good. Um, no, I think the issue with not being able to... I mean, the unfortunate thing about having both, I like Giroud, I like Tammy. I mean, I'm not sure that Tammy is quite at the level of required to be a Chelsea player, but at the same time, it's maybe because his hold-up's not very good. And I think as a big player, you've got to be better at that. His heading's not very good. But in that sense, he does offer more off the ball than Giroud does uh, by, by quite a, a long stretch, I think. Um, that's the point, isn't it, that you were making there? Like, if it, it's kind of hold-up, maybe if Giroud's kind of going down a bit, you have to kind of think, what is it we are looking for? Do Are we a team that wants to throw the ball in the box for big strikers at this point? Because for me, I think we need a hybrid. And people kind of forget the point that Drogba, whilst being a big striker, he was fast, he was quick, he was able to get in behind. He could do those things. And, uh, and that's the thing. Even I mean, there were certain things that him and Diego Costa could do that made a big striker have that little bit more. And, and if you don't have that little bit more, I, I've never been a big fan of those. I mean, where do you use a striker like that? To bring in goal-scoring wingers in behind them or to throw the ball into the box in the 90th minute? If, you, if you're not looking to do that, those guys are kind of redundant. If you're a possession-based team, those players are kind of redundant. So under someone like Conte, Giroud, very useful. Under someone, even some points of Lampard play, useful. But now we're back to that possession type of style. I kind of feel like those kind of strikers are not so valuable. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, you know, when you're playing this way, it is a very specific style and profile you need if you're going to be using these slow, deliberate buildups to move the opponent around to create the space as opposed to just hitting balls over the over the top or, you know, so on and so forth, whatever other opportunities or philosophies you have. You're going to have to have strikers, A, I think, are great with the ball at their feet and just in the right space, the right time, and create their own chances also. I think that's a huge thing that's important for this because especially the way we play, our two center mids are essentially just holding defensive mids that are that are mostly just there, okay, the, the front five didn't get it done, play it back to them, let's restart the possession. Right? They, these guys are not midfielders that are going to be going around dribbling through. And, I mean, even though Kovacic can do that, he doesn't really provide goals or assists. And that's not really his game, and neither is that Jorginho's role or game in this in this squad. So it's really difficult when we're going to be relying upon just you know this this center forward and the, these two outside forwards, and then the wing backs. Who you know, although you have wing backs can score like Marcus Alonso, and you have Reese James who are, is very good at delivering crosses. It just gets to the point where it's it's a numbers game. If you're only going to have five dedicated attackers, three of which are pure attackers in, in a sense, not being wing backs then the defense alone has four people, usually. Most most times in the opponents we face, it's a, it's a back four. So, I mean, that's just right there. Three pure attackers versus four pure defenders, and then wing backs that are going to be guarded by wide mids or center mids or whatever. So it's, it's just a numbers game, and I think that's what Tuchel has opted for, right? We're going to build def- defensive solidity and then try to just get our, our chances and be clinical, but we, we have seen a lot of misses and, and so on and so forth this season, and I think that you just need that striker that we need more pace. Like if you had Giroud with more pace, he's probably going to be able to get into those opportunities. And that, again, it's kind of like a dog whistle to Erling Holland being, <laughs> being the, uh, the solution to the problems, but definitely. Uh, um, yeah, I don't, and I don't really know how it's going to be solved this season. And I, I think that the bottom line is we have a lot of attackers that just offer, they offer very good profiles within very specific roles. 
you know, Ziek needs to be more on the touchline. He's not yeah. as good moving centrally because when he's central, he has less space and therefore time to play those risky passes. And in those risky, creative decision-making passes that break down the teams, it's just not really happening as much when he's going to be moving centrally. The same with Pulisic, right? He's also better near the touchline. And I know that in the U.S. national team, he's played that, you know, kind of number 10 cam role before. But from what I've seen watching him, and maybe people would disagree with this, he's way more effective when he's on the left wing or right wing closer to the touchlines. And he's not as good centrally because he needs that, that, that space that he is afforded more on the on the near the touchline on the wings to really use his pace and ability to get through people right and, and create more and I think it's kind of the same way I, I don't want to like talk about Eden Hazard a lot but is I mean there's a reason why he's been on the touchlines on the wing most of his career is because that's where he's most effective right you move him centrally is he going to be as effective probably I, I don't know but I think that we have a lot of attackers that have very specific profiles that are very useful. But the current way that we're setting up that front three is sort of, in my opinion, it's not doing enough to maximize their strengths and minimize their weaknesses. That's interesting. You mentioned that because I think um, when we're talking about maximization, I think that we are maximizing the current squads uh, with the way that we are kind of setting up the team. And I think that um, <clears throat> the, the lack of goals, I think, is kind of a necessary casualty. Um, and that's something interesting that you mentioned about the kind of the way that we're setting up, because I think that's kind of our remit, isn't it? The the win rate is one of the things that were as attractive about Thomas Tuchel. And uh, I think one of the things are about that is that that's our way. That's what we're trying to do in these in the big games. We want those really small margins, not concede many chances and win, the, win like that because the quality is there. And I think like when we were playing with Frank, and it's not just Lampard, it was a problem with the team ever since Mourinho left the first time. I'm not sure if you will remember uh, back there, but I'm sure you, you probably do. So... Back when, when Mourinho left and we had Avram Grant and then we had all these other kind of ideas, every time a new attacking coach came in, the balance just was not there. We would score more goals, but then we would concede more goals. And and that's the thing. That's we, We've been built around that defensive solidity. And that culture that was created is very hard to break, no matter how many more offensive-style technical players that we buy. And uh, well, we've kind of gone back to the Conte kind of style with a little blend of Sari in there, I think, with the possession. And uh, I mean, I'm very happy. I don't care that we're not scoring as many goals as long as we're winning games. But yeah, if we were a little more clinical, I think we close out games a lot easier. But for me, that's a necessary evil. I think it definitely is a necessary evil. I'm just going to... Oh, sorry, you were going to say something there, Trav. I'm going to let you come back in. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think you're, you are spot on there that it isn't necessarily evil. And, I, and I, I know what I just said. I don't want listeners to interpret as, okay, Tuchel needs to change the system because look at how effective the system has been now. Two goals allowed, one of which was an own goal in 14 Incredible. matches. I mean, in 12, 12 clean sheets in that, those 14 matches. I mean, that's something that even back to the 2004 Mourinho team would smile upon. So it, 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 it goes back to even what you just said. That is kind of the culture that Chelsea first established to get to that superpower team that we that they were and still are maybe now becoming again with Tuchel. And I also think that you're you're so spot on there that Tuchel has this mix of Sari and Conte. And I, I think that's really what the squad is needs to be maximized because Sari had that same defense that Lampard had, more or less, minus Davi Luiz, or in, in Sari's case, he had Luiz. And we were, what, the third best defense in the league? Yep. But we created that great defense by simply not allowing the t- other team to touch the ball much by possessing it. So sometimes it's a pretty simple equation, right? If you if the other team has the ball 25% of the match, they're naturally probably going to have less chances 
by probably, you know, if you want to look at it from a probabilistic standpoint. Um, yeah, it's defending through possession as opposed to, you know, we're going to defend by scoring more goals and, and then so on and so forth. So I think that is the, the way forward and the, the system's working great. Nothing against the system. What I worry about, though, is the long-term effect, is how long can you continue this system up against teams, especially over two legs like Man, Man City or Bayern? Can this don't don't concede a goal system and maybe only score one or two? Can that beat the best in the world? That's where I think the breakdown maybe occurs with this system. But within the Premier League context, it's going to work very, very well because most teams are just not able to score against us because there's it seems like in the Premier League, if you can kind of shift a lot more of your focus to not being scored upon, right? It, it's a it's a pretty easy equation. Again, you don't get you don't concede, you can't drop three points. So maybe in the league this kind of system works, but I think long term, if we want to win the Champions League again, that I think you have to be a little more uh, on the initiative in terms of the attacking side of things to get that done. And look at Bayern and City, the probably the two most attacking teams, and they're the favorites for a reason. Can I ask you about that? Because that's a really good point. If we look at the kind of most, because I mean, I will disagree with that final point. I agree to everything else you said, um, but I've got a few things to add to that. You said about how long can we do it in that way? And obviously for Conte, that didn't work. But then I believe that was, we're talking about a squad quality issue back then. So if we look, I think now that the quality of the squad right now is a lot higher than the, the quality that Conte and Sari had. Um, if you take Hazard out of the equation, look and Costa, I mean, we're looking around at the team um, we've got now. Um, and I think the thing with Ziyech, I think it's mainly about the pace of the game. So, you know, adjusting to the Premier League in the middle. I, I think we give him a little bit of time. We might see something better from him. He was been a bit good lately, so which is also very good. Um, so I definitely think the part, we're thinking about Bayern. Bayern, are, in my opinion, are an outlier because they could dominate an attack. They had so many good attackers. They were fast. They were dynamic. Everything exploded at one time. But if you're looking at other past winners, you said about Man City doing it that way, but they, they've never been to the semi-final. So is an offensive kind of more, as you say, kind of more offensive style, is that really what wins you the Champions League? If you think about the teams that got in the final, PSG were pretty pragmatic. Like, and, and they got to the final last year. Who, who won the year before? Liverpool won. Okay, so Liverpool were another outlier. But look, then Real Madrid, they didn't play very attacking football. They had a quality of players and a good setup. And I think that for every Liverpool and Bayern that wins, we've got an FC Porto, we've got a Chelsea, we've got, you know, these kind of teams that can do it with not conceding many opportunities, I believe. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and, you know, kind of checks what I was saying and, and re- you know, kind of puts into perspective now that I hear it that way. Yeah, there are some limitations that, that come with if you want to play more all-out attack, right? You're going to probably concede more. Um, so maybe there is a little bit of, of just kind of random chance that goes into that. If, if the super attacking style like Bayern, who just demolished more or less everybody until PSG in the final, right? Uh, it, it's going to work sometimes. and It's not going to work other times. I think that it, it requires that you're going to have to just suffocate the opponent with attack or you're just going to have to have incredible world-class defenders that can compensate for that over uh, commitment to attack. So maybe that's where the balance in that lies yeah. is that you have to kind of have a very clear, you know, what and why for each position if you're going to play a certain way. Um, also, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. <clears throat> also, of course, not everybody has the best yeah. Right, so I think that is something that's also psychological, right? Because Bayern could do that because they had the best team. I mean, I think once they, they, I mean, who did they beat? They beat a dead Barcelona. They beat us, you know, young Chelsea, dead Barcelona. 
I don't even know they beat in the semi-final. I can't even remember. Um, but, you know, they, their run, they weren't really tested. And no. so if you're not tested and you're an attacking team, the confidence must be high. You beat someone 8-0 and you're going in the next game and think, we've just wrecked Barcelona. Who, who are the, who's this next team we're playing? We're like RB Leipzig. You know, they ain't going to lose that. Yeah, I mean, those are great points. And I, I think that, yeah, Bayern, with the way that they play in the Bundesliga, also really fits their style because it's an incredibly high line, def- you know, essentially defense when I watch the Bundesliga seems to be thrown out the window most of the times. And it's more of a commitment to attacking play, which that's fine, right? It, it, you see a lot more in the modern game. That's kind of how it's adapted. But then, like you said, you know, there's always the the counter example. And right now, I think that's what Tuchel is. So yeah. it's going to be really interesting to see what he does uh next off season coming up very shortly actually and what he's going to do is he going to keep this three at the back system because and i think that's really what we're going to find out is how he wants to play with this team and overall if we become more attackive or attacking or if we still opt for more of a defensive approach but it's going to be a good ride to the the end of the season no doubt i think that everything looks really positive yeah from this standpoint go. And it's been a really yes. up and down. Leicester scored. Sorry to interrupt you. Leicester are winning 1-0 in the other game. Are they playing? Man United in the okay. Cup. If Leicester wins and we end up with Leicester or Southampton, we could be in this final. So this is a big positive. Just wanted to put that at, add on to your positive point. Sorry, continue, my friend. No, you're good. I think that's, I think that's you know, another testament to what's going on this season. And, and I know that you're pro- like me with this. I still value the FA Cup a lot. And a I lot. think it's a, it's, a big, it's a big tournament, right? It's a big cup to win. It's not just something that nobody cares about. And I know that some teams may not prioritize it as much, but at the end of the day, it's a, it's a cup you win and you get into European football with it. Um, it would have saved Lampard his job, in my opinion, if we'd have won last season. I think it would have bought him a little more time. Probably so, because it shows that he did have a winning pedigree and yeah. especially had a winning pedigree within the absolute you know, quagmire that was the restart and all of the circumstances that went with and players were mentally and physically out of shape and you know, not really up to it and suffered fatigue and all kinds of stuff going on there. It would have been great for him, but you know, unfortunately, and we know how that played out against Arsenal. And I just want to take before I'm going to test you and it's going to be a tough question coming up, <clears throat> but I'd just like to take three seconds to appreciate how good Kante was against Atletico Madrid. And there we go. So what a performance from him. Um, And I just kind of want to write the semi-final. People that know you, people that have checked out your Twitter, saw that you predicted this Champions League semi-final, a quarter-final, 90% Porto, you said. 2-0, you said, for today's game. I saw that as well. So some would say you are mystic trap. And on that point, what is the percentage of us winning the Champions League? Uh, so before I, you know, I'll, I'll put it, answer a little bit more before that. I've seen it like betting sites have us as the favorite to get to the final from our end of the bracket, which would be if we beat Porto, it's going to be Liverpool or Real Madrid, both of which I think are more favorable because Liverpool they're just a completely different team, and Van Dijk, Gomez, and Matip are all out the entire rest of the season. They're not coming back. So, and, and Henderson is still hurt. I don't know if or when he's coming back because I don't know, but I haven't heard about his recovery status. So, I think that it's very favorable. So, I would say that okay, we're going to move past Porto, and you know, I'll say that, and we'll probably you know drop at least a goal or two against them and, and make it more interesting than it should be. But I, I really have a confidence that we're going to do the job. You know. 
everybody thought when we drew Atletico that, okay, you know, that's the toughest draw we could have had. Uh, more of the same round of 16 exit, blah, blah, blah. And I remember I tweeted out uh, whenever the, before the draw happened, I said I wanted to draw Atletico. I said that's who I wanted us to play. Um, and the reason, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I said the reason is, is because I said that shows us where we are as a team. You know, if we go in there and we get beat handedly, then we know we're still very far off the mark here. But, but if, if we played Borussia Mönchengladbach, it would have shown us where we are as a team in the quarterfinal. We could have played <laughs> Atletico late. We could have, yeah, we could have. But I think that beating, in, in all honesty, I mean, Atletico are the, still the favorites to win the, the, the La Liga this season, um, which great testament to Simeone and all that he's done and built there. Um, so I wanted to play them because I wanted to see where we are because that's also Simeone is a great team in the cup. You saw last year he knocked out Liverpool with that great uh, extra time game, 3-2 at Anfield. So that's what I wanted, and we got it. We got that great test. We passed that test with flying colors, 3-0 overall. So I think that against Porto, I, I really do stick it. I think 9 out of 10 times if you play this tie, we're going to win this one. Um so I am gonna stick with that pretty steadfast. We're gonna be we're gonna move on from Porto and get to the semifinals. Um I predicted a semifinal loss to Madrid. So uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I you know, and here's the thing for me, so there's a stat that I saw on Real Madrid. They've conceded ten goals in the eight Champions League matches. Ooh. Um so I sort of am at the I don't really fear Madrid too much, to be mm-hmm. honest. And especially because when you look at how they score goals, a lot of times when I look at the, the box score, or I see matches uh, or highlights, it just seems like it's Kareem Benzema popping up right place, right time and making things for himself. Yep. So with three at the back, we're really going to neutralize that one central forward a lot more than we would otherwise. So I think that Benzema will find it very tough against us. And we have four incredible center backs to choose from that can, that can do that job. And right, we play against great strikers throughout the season as it is. Um, with that said, Liverpool have only conceded, I think, three goals in the entirety of the Champions League contest and their campaign thus far. So they've actually been pretty good in Europe, despite their continual struggles in the league and just a really bad title defense overall. So, you know, I, I think that we're going to get past Porto. That's I think that's a pretty done and dusted thing. Um, I, I feel most confident about that than I have felt probably in any Champions League you know, non-group stage match in quite some time. And so I was just going to say, how would you feel about another Champions League semi-final with Liverpool? Oh, man, there's just so much (laughs) bad history there. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I think that we'll get it done. Uh, I I think that you look at Liverpool and they're struggling right now to score goals and we're defensively so solid. So I think that their weakness, it really plays into our strength. And we'll probably be able to get it done if we were to play Liverpool. And I think we'll be able to get it done if we have against Madrid, but I think it's going to be much closer. Um, so I, I would say still, I'm going to stick at 90%, probably nine out of 10 chance that we beat Porto. I'm going to say that going on to the next round, I'm going to put it still at about a six and a half out of 10 uh, that will that we'll move past. What about the final trap? What's the percentage? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Against Bayern, that's who we're going to play, let's be honest. I, I don't see Bayern slipping up. I mean, they just played yesterday with 10 men for almost the entire match and won like 4-5-0. Uh, you never know, though. I would tell you I predict the Champions League. I get it wrong every time. Uh, yeah. it's one thing I can normally predict fairly well with these games. When it comes to Champions League, I, I get the winners wrong a lot. It's, so. it's, 
it's really tough because it's such a it's a competition of incredibly fine margins and it, it you know teams can just completely adapt the way they play for one match and and get it done um in the finals so and i mean you can go back to even some of the you know massive upsets which 2012 and before that inter milan when they when they pulled it off um i i think at the end of the day if we do play Bayern in the final and a lot of chelsea fans will probably hate to hear this but i don't think we're going to be able to, to beat them I, I i just i don't think we have the quality to match up against Bayern at this moment in time. We proud. don't. But it would be proud for us if we were to get oh. that far. I think this is one time I'm not expecting to win. I would like the FA Cup. I think this is something we could win. Um, but as far as the Champions League goes, I mean, for me, semi-final would, would be okay. And I'm somebody that really wants success all the time. But for me, I mean, this would this would kind of signify a huge progression in the team, I think. Yeah, and I completely agree. I think that if we, I mean, you look at our record since that final win in Munich in 2012, and it's really been one, quite pathetic. One, one semi, that was And it. we got blown out in that semifinal. And we were winning. Yeah. I mean, we, we had a good team, and we just continually in the league dropped it that season against the kind of the more minnows, and we beat all of the, the, the top six. But I, I, I think... There, it, sorry to interrupt you again. I was there at the Sunderland... Uh, oh. Where uh, Aspie tripped uh, Jose Altidore right in front of me. That was a yeah. It was a frustrating season because you know we we had so many great moments like the Branislav Ivanovic one nil uh, away win to City. We had the six nil to Arsenal. We had the two nil away with Mourinho running down the sideline beating his <laughs> chest, and we just couldn't get it done against the Palaces and the Sunderlands and the Stokes. But uh, you know, um, I, I still think. I, I agree Sorry. with you a lot. That it, oh, go ahead. I to add that point that what was missing in that team might be a correlation. Top striker was missing. This is why we didn't win. Yeah. Yep. And what did Mourinho do the next season? Went out and signed one of the best strikers in all of Europe, and we storm our way to the league, and Costa just creates his own uh, chances and goals several times. I mean, there was a couple matches I remember that, you know, throughout his tenure at Chelsea where he just – single-handedly won us games and you have to and that goes back to all the way back to what we were saying in the beginning of this when you mentioned it that we need a striker it's a little more of a hybrid between a Giroud and a Werner and we and that's what I think I'm trying to say too is we have good players for their specific roles but they are limited to those roles much more we don't really have that that guy that can occupy all types of attacking roles and put a defense really in in harm's way you know and many different ways itself so I do think it's going to be difficult for us because of what you just said. We don't have that all-and-out, you know, goal-scoring striker. And even if we had that in our team, I still feel like we would, in a final, have to be a little more attacking and go for it a little more than what we are if we're going to face a Bayern. So uh, Bayern Munich, it's all credit to them. They built an incredible team, yep. and they're winning with a 4-2-3-1, which is a system that, quite frankly, with that number 10 role has kind of disappeared in the last five to ten years. Um, so maybe they're on to something again, you know, tactically with what they're doing and, uh, it's working great for them, but yeah, I mean, and they also, again, going back to top striker, they have arguably the best striker in the world. So well, that's the thing, isn't it? Like a, any team in the world that has a top five striker in the world, unless your name's Tottenham Hotspur, uh, it's probably going to be able to win something. And, uh, and then this is the thing. I was going to ask you this question. Let's kind of skip that over a little bit because I've got to ask you this question from an analytics point of view, from a football point of view. What do we need to compete with City? So in my opinion, it depends upon what system we're going to play. 
Uh, so it's sort of a system-dependent answer. And I would say if we're going to stick with three at the back, we don't really need a center back, right? We don't need that. We have a very good, you know, number of options to play uh, for three at the back in those center back roles, especially when you look at we could very low chance. We could have Tamori back. We'll have Mar- uh, we'll have Gahey back as well. Or uh, I- I'm probably butchering that pronunciation. Um, and we'll also uh, have uh, Sar back as well. So, and he's done pretty well uh, from what I see and, you know, kind of glan- at a glance from what he's been doing at Porto. I-, I think that's the bottom line is that we really don't need a center back. We stick with three at the back. If we stick with three at the back, what we really need, we don't even really need a destroyer for center mid or because that's not really how those center mids are being used in, in the, in the three, in the three, four, what, two, one or a three, four, three. Um, I think it really just comes down to if we're going to keep three at the back, you need an out and out top five striker. Absolutely. We need to, we, that's all, that's it. But if we're going to move to four, you know, a back four again and play a four, three, three or four, two, three, one, whatever, I think we have somebody that can play the number 10 role with Kai. We have two very good wingers and, you know, whether it's uh Werner out on the left and maybe more drifting in as that inverted forward with Chile being the left back, who's going to bombard uh, as well. Um, I think if that's what we're going to do, go to a four-two-three-one. We need an out-and-out defensive mid destroyer, and you have to absolutely have to get a, a world-class center back to be able to play in that manner with with reducing the number of center backs in defensive numbers. So I think it's system dependent, but that's how I would that's how I would answer it. If depending upon which direction Tuchel wants to go, that's an extremely solid uh, answer there, and I've got a few more sub questions. I mean. You know, if Haaland isn't isn't going to happen, I, I, I'm trying to think who 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 it is, who's that going to be? And I like if we're talking about defensive midfield and the way that we're playing now, I like Kamavinga. Um, I don't know how achievable he is, but I think that in the way that we're playing, he could really suit what we're trying to do. Um, as far as a centre back goes, who do we get at centre back? I thought Upamecano is not really my guy, but I think his athleticism might have been okay. Um, because he can at least pass it as well. But who do we go for at centre-back? Who, who is there? Who is going to be world-class? I don't think there are many available that are better than... I like Rudiger. I think he's a good player. I don't think there, we're going to find any better than Rudiger and Thiago Silva, honestly. I, it's a really good question, because it, when, you, when you kind of take a pause and really think about it, you're right. There, If you want to be honest, a lot of the best centre-backs right now in the world, they're playing over on the blue side of Manchester. Uh <laughs> With with uh, Laporte and you have Ruben Diaz, who has just been phenomenal this season. Yep. I mean, my God, he's been crushing it this year. And, and what he's done for them has been – and look at John Stones has had a revival this season as well. So I think that a lot of the best center backs are already there. Virgil van Dijk is already in the Premier League, and he's not moving away from Liverpool. That's not happening. And I also, you know, spare me a little bit. Don't, don't try to kill me with this answer. But I don't know if I would want to take a huge gamble on him if I was on their team after having a – 12 month ACL tear. Yeah. Um, that, that might be a little, it might be a little risky if you're going to throw a hundred million dollars at that, especially because he is what he's probably getting close to 30 now. If he I isn't think, already, I think he's 29. Yeah. I don't think, I think the time for him is I wanted him when he was at Southampton and we so didn't contact. Yeah. We didn't take the risk and um, we lost out on that one. I think despite his injury, I mean, he brought a lot of trophies there and I think he was a catalyst for it. Um, and that's my question, really. Where is a Van Dyke? There is no one that I see that we've been linked with that is worth this. Kanate uh, wasn't impressed when I saw him recently. Um, these play- I don't think these players improved the team. 
So the idea is, do we do we stick with someone like Ampadu, who's kind of been a bit shaky in recent games? Do we go for Gurhi, who's not played at the level yet? Um, I mean, for me, that's a, that's the toughest question. I wouldn't actually buy a centre-back. I would stick with what we have, and then I would go all out for the striker, and then maybe the DM, and that would be it for me. Um, and potentially, if we're looking at trading a winger or something like that, but other than that, I probably wouldn't go for a centre-back at this stage because I don't see anybody worth it. So uh, I'll throw this out there because I've been seeing that Chelsea have tracked him for several you know seasons now and are closer than ever to pulling the trigger on him. But uh, uh, Nicolas Sule, um, and yeah, I know that's the reaction a lot of people have when you hear that. But it wasn't that long ago before like Hansi Flick took over and he got a lot of injuries as well. That Sule was being touted as one of the best young center backs in the entire world and was on a trajectory to be world class. And if you look at his, he's a really large guy, um, no doubt, very like physically imposing. But he also has uh, the, I mean, he does have a little more pace than you might expect. But there's another name out there that could be a real possibility, which is uh, Skriniar from Conte's team. He's really good in the back two, back three. He's a little, it's it's not as good. But in a fourth back system, he was at one point considered one of the best defenders in football. So I, I don't know if it's. You're right. There really is a, a lack of... I mean, Sergio Ramos is available on a free this transfer, is what possibly. This is the way I would go. Sergio Ramos, if he wanted to come for two years. Um, I don't think... that. I think uh, we've got quite a weird stigma with age. I personally think that uh, someone like that would, would provide immense value to the team. I'm not... A, I, I, unpopular opinion, but I think Rudiger is a lot better than Skriniar. And, uh, and, and, and if we're talking about Skriniar, I don't... From the games that I did watch under Conte, I wasn't overly impressed. I'm, I'm glad you didn't say De Vrij, um, who I think is a walking disaster. No, I, I'm not. A, I think they Juventus made a huge mistake and overpaid for him by a long shot. And they may have also overplayed for De Ligt. And uh, I think that's something you mentioned about one of the best young defenders. And I think like we're watching some of these guys... Um, I, I'm not overly impressed. I liked David, Al- David Alaba, but I don't want him for his money, and I think he's also quite small. I don't think he actually suits what we're trying to do. Um, and the same, I definitely don't like Jerome Boateng. Uh, so the kind of names that have been thrown out there, I'm not sure actually improved this team. And I've been very kind of against Christensen for many years, and he's been playing well. And at this point, I feel like we should just stick with the guys we have. I mean, there's a potential that we can improve upon Zuma, but, you know, I mean, what are we asking for for a sub? defending we, we can't offer world-class bench right now exactly. i think tuchel's kind of maximized the team and i think what we really need to do now is, is look for the biggest area where we can improve and i feel that that striker may be someone who can be a good dm who can also pass and bring the ball out i personally think that matthew said about earlier about one player making a difference i feel like matic costa those kind of people did do that for us um so that's kind of where i am with that i think that's uh, something interesting but i just want to Skip this over. I'm going to kind of ask you a bit more of a different technical question at a late... St- oh, God, 40 foot. It's been a good pod today. Um, the transformation of the team that we've seen under Tuchel has been incredible. But why has it happened? And the first sub-question is, what does the eye test tell you? So, yeah, that's a great question. And it's really difficult if you... I mean, when you really get into it, there's a lot of factors, I think, that why we're doing better. So, first off, I think that... Your first question is, why are we doing so much better with Tuchel? And I think the bottom line is because a lot of players in this system are having their strengths and weaknesses um, in a non-attacking phase, right? So in midfield and defense, we are maximizing strengths, right? So we saw Azpilicueta starting to get phased out. 
And now he returns to a back three, which is where he's best. And that's where he was, you know, it's kind of surprising that we moved off a back three, to be honest, because we've seen time and time again, that's when we've been the best. I mean, Sari's season is a little bit of an aberration because it was just such a systems guy. It was plan A and play plan A better. That was, you know, that was the only way to go. Um, And that's nothing against him. That's nothing against Sari at all. I mean, it might sound like a slight against him, but it's not. So I think that we're maximizing a lot of the strengths because we saw a turnover in the squad and in Golo Kante, uh, you know, a lot of people always thought that, you know, okay, we'll play him as defensive mid, his best defensive mid in the world. Nobody's better. But Kante, and maybe people disagree with me, he's not really a defensive mid in most senses. He's much more of a, a ball-winning, roaming midfielder, and he's not best used by just sitting around and trying to shield the defense. That's just not how he's best used. And even look at him in, in, at Leicester City. He was in a midfield, too, with Danny Drinkwater. Look at him in the title-winning season with Conte. He was with Nemanja Matic sitting and Conte roaming around destroying and then letting the attackers and Hazard and Costa and whoever just create these chances. So I, I think that we've seen Tuchel's system work because, A, he's moved to three at the back, and it shored up all of the issues we had where we're trying to just out, we're trying to win games 4-3. And he said, okay, this is ridiculous. This isn't sustainable. We're moving to a back three. This is where this team has not only found the most success, but a lot of these players were recruited under Antonio Conte in this in the system he used that was three to the back. And and then it also conversely, and this is where it really gets into what you said earlier in the podcast that Tuchel is this mix of Sari and, and Conte, is that we're allowing now Jorginho's and Kovacic's uh, to move into midfield and be by themselves, but they don't have to worry as much because there are three, there's three defenders right behind them, and they're also not being tasked with moving forward, right? So we saw previously when, when Jorginho played that lone DM role, it was difficult for him with a back four because those, those fullbacks were also bombarding forward as well. So we really only had Jorginho and two center backs, and then everybody else is getting forward under that previous system, and that is just not his strength. He's not going to be, you know, a Makalele and destroy things. That's not his role. So I think we saw a lot of people in the wrong roles, and Tuchel has now identified how to get those roles best. Um, and, it, and it's really, you know, you see it a lot with the, the you know, the three at the back and the two midfielders. And I actually think the wingback role suits Reese James much better than it does at right back because – and this is something that I have been critical of Reese is defensively he gets burned and just doesn't track the back post very well. And in the right, in the right wing back role, he doesn't have to worry about that as much because he's are he's, you know, he's, he's moving up and down much more in both phases of the game, as opposed to just being much more of a purely defensive right back and getting forward and then getting forward and uh, then not tracking back so on and so forth. And there's not enough, there just simply weren't enough numbers. So I think that Tuchel's, System is so effective because it's prioritizing numbers in defense, which is building this base, which is letting Jorginho and Kovacic do their thing. It's letting Conte do his thing more, too. And But I, I think the trade-off is, like we've kind of alluded to many times now, is that the attacking phase is being less prioritized in the defensive phase. And I also think that this team, and this goes back to the blend of Sarri and Conte, is that we're seeing a kind of this slow build-up, uh, possession-based style of play um, with a back three. So I think that's really what it's come down to, is it's mixing the two strengths that Chelsea have had the most in the in the past five years or so um, into one system. And right. I think that's kind of the truth where we are as a team right now. And um, and then what, what was the, uh, the second half of your question? I know I kind of went on a tangent there. No, I was just saying what the eye test tells you. And <clears throat> when I've been uh, to the games, and I think that's a really key point, I think that some 
fans and no offense to people that don't understand and people don't have to they see a position and that's kind of it but uh when you're seeing players not doing well but they're in a role that's completely i, I feel like some people you see them not doing well in other roles and then automatically people saying this player isn't good and uh the, the problem i think that kind of underlie underpins that is that if somebody doesn't like a player that player can do nothing and, and it's something I've noticed that there are scapegoats on the internet and it, and it's kind of one from each side. So there's, you know, some people on the, on the Mount thing, some people on the Rudiger thing, some people on the Jorginho thing. And it's, uh, it is annoying because you watch the games and it, especially under Tuchel where pretty much all of those players have been pretty exceptional. Um, and, and people just won't pay attention to it. And it's, you, you put Jorginho in his role and I'll, I'll thought he should have been sold but he's playing now and now I think he has to be on the, in the team every time and I, yeah and you're spot on I think under Lampard I said the same thing like Jorginho doesn't fit the system he's got to go and it's not it's just not effective for the team but you are spot on about that there's a lot of scapegoating that goes on and on you know and when we talk the internet we're mostly talking Twitter right because that's that's yeah. more or less the common place for everybody but yeah, anyway go ahead without the eye test you're making a lot of good points there like in general it's a thing and the thing about Kante that you mentioned yeah it's quite clear when I went to see him in a game First time I saw him, I was amazed. Even better in person than when you go and watch on the TV and whatever. Because he and it's not a slight on people that don't go to the games. Nothing at all. It's just when you're watching it and you look at it, you, he appears when you didn't see him. Like I was watching it and I was like, oh shit, they got the ball and bomb out of nowhere. He was there winning the ball. And I was like, where the hell was he? Last time I saw him a second ago, he was the other side of the pitch. So when coaches are saying that he is two players, that is genuinely how it is. And I find it. Cr- I know he can't pass very well sometimes, but. I think, again, what are we expecting? He's not Cesc Fabregas. He's not Jorginho. He's N'Golo Kante. And, 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 and people were suggesting we should have sold him a couple of years ago, and I just find that absolutely ridiculous. You don't sell your world-class players uh, just because he doesn't score. And again, doesn't score many goals. Doesn't you're seeing this, and you're thinking, oh, well, what's he doing? But you watch the games, and you see, like, he's not a he's not holding midfielder. But that's fueled by pundits saying that he was one. But we watched the games, and he, he's not one. Matic was more that player when we played in the in the two. And uh, you said at Leicester are the same. He used to get. Uh, I think one thing that's kind of underrated about Kante, he's a very good ball carrier. Progressing that ball forward, he's very good. And I think that's another thing we don't really talk, DMs don't do that that much, unless you find one like kind of likes to roam with the ball a lot. But for me, fantastic player. And I want to add that to what do the numbers say? in terms of the transformation of this team from a data point of view, what would you say? So, I mean, obviously we're, you know, you look at the differences, right? So we were scoring a lot of goals before, but conceding a lot of goals as well on top of that. So now you look at it, we're not scoring as nearly as much. Um, I think it was like about like 1.3 goals per game or something like that. Maybe even less when I last, when I last ran the article um, on Monday of last week, I was writing about this and, but defensively we're conceding like point one five or something like that goals i mean i could do the math real quick right two goals and 14 matches um it's uh it's a record that's yeah i mean it great i mean it's uh i'm sorry i'm yeah we're conceding one point or 0.14 goals per game um right so we're at that at that in my opinion what's going on with that is We've, we've really changed how we are prioritizing. That kind of goes back to what we've been saying. So I think analytically, you're seeing the defenders are, are great again. And right, Antonio Rudiger, despite the own goal, has been phenomenal. And I think I, I, think I shared it with you. I saw that somebody did uh, like a per 90 uh, scatter plot with X axis was like uh, ground duels one and the Y axis was uh, aerial duels Aerial-ful. one. 
Rudiger is in the top right corner. It's incredible. Uh, in, in the Premier League, nobody nobody is, has, an, in terms of that metric that that person created, I, and sorry that I can't remember whoever it was, shout out to whoever it was, great, great analytics there. Um, you know, Rudiger has really come alive, and so many people, myself included, were kind of like, yeah, the, I mean, he's just mistake-prone, so on and so forth. But I'll ask the question, won't work most of our center backs mistake-prone um, before the move to three at the back? This so, is, yeah. Yeah. It's not that I think it's the mid and a lack of lack of DM in a sense again because Kante isn't one, and uh, this is the thing. I, well, we always mention this, and then when you watch games, because when you think about when you used to play games, and, and the defense would always be the first that get blamed when you don't win. I remember this a lot, and uh, it would often be sometimes you'd be stranded three v one, three v two. The amount of times there was that space, so you'd have your middle, and for some reason there'd be such huge space in but behind them. Give anyone a kind of long distance 1v1 against someone, you know, someone who's fast, skillful, they're probably going to have a chance of getting a goal. And uh, I think like the kind of way we've swapped to free it, but yeah, security. But I don't think that these players are bad. I mean, we conceded three. I mean, we think like, even, even with Rudiger, if you're looking at Rudiger's stats here, we conceded, I think, three under Lampard this season when he played. And the two of those were against Leicester in that capitulation game. And... Uh, I just think it's, it's incredible. For me, he's a good player, and, and I always fight his corner, not because he's my favorite player, because I see that he's very athletic, he's pretty good all-rounder, he's a good tackler, he can pass the ball well, and, and I think people have chosen... See, I saw this on FT, like there was a first couple of months in playing, I said, oh, he's underrated, people were saying, and then I started to see the people saying he's not good, and then that become, you know, like a hidden agenda with people, and this is what happens with players. And uh, so, you know, they can play so well, and, and the half of the two are like, oh, he's been playing well lately. But then it goes to the other half. They're like, oh, shit, he's not good. He's ass man or whatever. And it's never actually true. And this is uh, quite frustrating, I think. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it kind of just shows on social media, there's like this hyper polarization that goes on, right? And it's out of, I, I mean, maybe some of it is that people just want to quickly make uh, negative comments because it, it, as we know, like on social media, those tend to get more traction um, than anything. But at the same time, I think that... Uh, you're, you're, you're really spot on about that. And if you remember, like, when Rudiger, before he tore his ACL at Roma, was being billed as one of the best, you know, young prospects as a center back in, in Europe. And, I mean, there's a reason why he still starts for Germany, right? He starts for the German national team, uh, not because he's, you know, if a player was shit, he wouldn't be starting for the German national team. And that's that's just kind of the truth at, at the end of the day. And I think that, like, in, on social media, it kind of gets into this aspect where the truth pretty much always lies in between something uh, like you'll see two people, you know, on one side of the agenda or opposite sides of the agenda. And the truth's usually somewhere in the middle. Um, and I think that really a lot of this conversation and, you know, talking about the analytics and the eye test for what the system is, what Tuchel is showing. I really think that it shows, in my opinion, systems are much more important for a player success as opposed to players being important for a system success. I think it's system is generally going to drive player success and not the other way around. Um and, and I think that's what we're seeing so much with Tuchel is there's a much more clear what, when, why, and how for each position within this system than what there was previously. And I think that's why I test and analytics, we're seeing everything improve. Other than the attacking three, those pure attackers, I think that we're seeing the maximization of strengths and minimization of weaknesses. And it, and it shows up that way exactly in the statistics, too. I mean, Jorginho has been a revival. Kovacic has been a revival. Rudiger has been a revival. Azulicueta has been a revival. So many players. I mean, Marcus Alonso now. I mean, look at him at left wing back. 
he's still a very, very good left wing back. I mean, I know at left back he has a lot of limitations, and I'm not even going to try to, you know, promote the agenda for him at left back. But at left wing back, he's great. So I think that we're seeing, you know, if you look, look at uh, sort of about a overall goal uh, within the squad, you're seeing a lot more players being maximized within this system. And I think that underpins what I was trying to say. The system is much more important for player success and not vice versa. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think that um, <clears throat> that's the thing. Now that assets have been maximized, I think when we got towards the end, when we're kind of, because sometimes we all fall into that trap. We're losing games. All this, oh, these players maybe aren't good enough. But then, <clears throat> I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding sometimes. When when managers have been sacked and then they've gone on to win a trophy, they've proved they're going to, for me, when, when a team, for example, we beat Liverpool 1-0 or beat Tottenham 1-0, what else do you need to prove that the team is good enough? Because we've just won those games. And we didn't, we weren't second best. They weren't sit back and one count a goal. They were, so when we see that proof, we know. Like, I mean, under Lampard, did we, did, we didn't win many big games. We didn't win many big games. I know we, we won a cup game against Liverpool. We won, we beat City in, in that one game. But City weren't doing that well at that time, you know. And that's two. I mean, we're considering we're, we're losing games and losing games. And under Tuchel, we've not lost. And now... Uh, so I think now we've got to come back to that point and realize that players are good enough. And, and that's the thing. You, you, the proof is there. So when you see, we talk about player power and all this stuff, sometimes the players have no power. If you see that we're not achieving results and these players are playing, there's no way they would sack the manager in favor of the, the manager, uh, in favor of the players, in my opinion. I've gone off a bit on a tangent here, but I think it's, the players, for me, they, they are good enough, I, I have to say. And um, the last question before we close out what has been a wonderful pod. What do, we do, what do Chelsea do at the end of this season? What do we win, if anything? And, and by the way, the FA Cup draw is just being done, so I'm going to let you know who we play in a minute. So, I, I, great question, and I, you know, great to hear you going on tangent there. I think you make a lot of good points, and this, these players are good enough, because a lot of them have won titles, and a lot of them are considered to be prior oh, to their arrival oh. to Chelsea. We've, we've got City in the semi-final. Eh, well, we probably are going to have to play him one way or another in the final if, you know, yeah. so it goes. But I, I would say that uh, I think at this point, you're spot on. A lot of these players are good enough, right? We, we just spent 200 and what, $300 million or whatever on players that were billed to be some of the best players in their positions across Europe, so on and so forth. So, but overall, I say that we're, we're not going to win the Champions League this season. I think we might get, we're, I, I do favor us to get to the final, but I do not favor us to beat Bayern. And some might say, well, we did it in 2012 and it's all the odds. But, you know, just that's, that's kind of, a, and, you know, we see it on banter on Twitter, people acting yeah. like it's all the same stuff. But those are just, you know, conspiracy theories, connecting dots that don't exist. What happened nine years ago has no relevancy on what's going to happen in 2021. So, I, I don't think we're going to win the Champions League. We're obviously not winning the league. City, we did, we're, not, we're not even closing the gap on City if we're at the end of the season. You know, we're not even really going to close the gap. But I do think the FA Cup, even though we just drew City, look, it's it's one game. We're not conceding. And we'll see how City do this, right? Because there is sort of this trend in the past several years for Guardiola to, as some posit, I'm not saying I necessarily do, but I'm sort of parroting others here that he just overthinks things when it gets to the semifinals. Right. So... If there's anything that works in our favor, it's sort of Guardiola's uh, poor-ish sort of uh, record in semifinals since he left Barcelona. Um, I and win. So I, I, I still i am going to say that I'm going to back us to win the FA Cup, but I'm going to put that at – my confidence is about a 5 out of 10 now with that draw. But the, the, the bottom line is we're probably going to play City in the final one way or the other. So 
it, you're gonna if you want to be the best, you have to beat the best anyway. So mm-hmm. to me, it doesn't really matter it, when you play them. You're gonna play them either way. So um, yeah. So that I don't know. How, how about you? Like, what's your confidence? Like, do you think we win anything this season, or do you think it's more of just uh, overall? Or are we just gonna have a lot of progression but no title? See, this is the thing. How it would just be so deflating if we end up losing two finals, one semifinal, one final. It would just kill the momentum for me. And I think we have to win. We have to win. I, I think we can win the cup, but. Uh, we need a little bit of uh, fortune, so we would need Leicester to win. And Leicester win, and we, we sneak by the City game, I think that the cup is ours. But uh, as far as Champions League, I think we've probably got, after looking at this draw, we've probably got a better chance of winning that than we have the FA Cup at this point. But we'll see. I mean, let, let's see it go. Let's win. I, I think that it's going to be tough either way. But, hey, you know, I, I think that where we are and everything and what Tuchel has accomplished, I, I still don't overly fear city uh for whatever reason now that i know that we're we're gonna play them next yeah as far as I, i'm kind of with you let's bring it on let's see where we go um but i, I would really really like to see the fa cup win this season I, that's what i would really like let's to see i think it. it's still the most realistic and we also know you know wigan have beaten city in in a yeah. fa cup final before too so anything can happen one off game if we get that first goal who knows totally agree and on that note, what a beautiful pod it has been today. Is a thank you very much for coming on, Trav. It has been a delight. Oh, right back at you, Mar. This is a great conversation. I, I really enjoyed all of this. Uh, it's, it's great to talk to you. And, you know, anytime it, you, know, you want to have me on, I'm more than welcome to. And, you know, great conversation. Again, thank you for having me on. Anytime, my man. And to all you listeners, hope you enjoyed the episode. This is Worldwide Chels up the Chels.